a judge because there's a great emphasis in Reformed theology on sin and the gospel and repentance and um, reconciliation and, and those things that are very important and necessary. And we should talk about them and we should preach those things and we should do so fervently and passionately. But at the same time, we cannot forego and neglect the doctrine of God's goodness. And that's what Psalm 1 addresses, isn't it? The goodness of God. And the goodness of God is displayed in Psalm 1 in the beautiful picture that it paints of the follower of God. And the follower of God is called blessed, meaning happy. If we take verse 3 and incorporate it into that concept of blessedness, we would also have to say successful. Successful. Prosperous. And not be ashamed of it. So what does it mean? What does it mean? Um, what is the psalmist talking about when he says in an emphatic way that in whatever he does, he prospers. Now that's emphatic, brothers and sisters. It's a declarative statement. It's indicative. He's not saying maybe. He's saying that the blessed one walking with God, as, as we learned last week, as he meditates on the law of God, as the word of God is the very center of his life, how do we know that? How, how, did we, how do we get, how do we come to that conclusion that the word of God is the center of his life? Well, because what does he do when he lays down at night on his pillow? He ponders and meditates on the word of God. It's not, a, it's not in any way surprising that when you lay your head down on your pillow at night, you're thinking about those things either you enjoy the most or the things that are most important to you and require the most out from you. What have I got to do tomorrow? What is required of me? What are my, okay, make, you know, we make mental checklists. I need to do this, this, and this. Okay, I need to remember to do those things. I mean, the point is, and of course, God knows this, right? God made us. He made us as habitual creatures. He made us that when we lay down at night, that the most important things are the most passionate things in our lives are what's on our minds, and that's why we know that this person who is described as blessed, happy, content, peaceful, at rest with God, God's anger does not abide on him. He is at peace with God. He is at a rest in God. There's no friction between he and God. He is blessed in every, every possible way. It shows up in the people that he associates with, and it shows up 
in his life, when he lays down at night, he's pondering, he's thinking about how can I apply the will of God to my life? How can I walk with God? How can I bless him? And then verse three, that's where he becomes like this tree planted. And this point here, this point is that the psalmist is, is drawing this picture of a tree in our minds because it's supposed to be beautiful. It's a Mediterranean tree. Again, non-descriptive. But the idea is to strike beauty in the heart of the reader. What I mean beauty? Why beauty? Well, beauty is a part of our life experience. We gravitate to things that are beautiful. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to buy a car from me and I've got two cars sitting on my lot, I have one that's been beat up with a sledgehammer and I have one freshly painted, fresh, into, I mean, just rolled off the assembly line. Which one are you going to walk up to and look at? You're not going to walk up to the rusted out bucket with hammer dings all in it. God made us to adore beauty. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, even though I'm not for uh, this kind of thing, uh, you know, these beauty pageants and whatnot, but I understand why they exist. People appreciate beauty. I mean, that's common. That's understandable. Even in the Bible, beauty is recognized. God recognizes beauty. Sarah, Abraham's wife, must have been a strikingly gorgeous woman, even up in her old age, because the Bible makes reference to it in relationship to Pharaoh. How are we to take that? When God created everything in the garden, Part of it being good is a part of it being ordered and structured and beautiful. Um, and I'm not, I'm, this is not a tangent. This ties into what the psalm is trying to present to us. The kind of life we need to foster in ourselves. When you look at, you know, I, was, I remember sitting down one time and, you know, the coffee table books, you know, there are books that people kind of have on their coffee table and it might be the you know, castles of Scotland or, you know, the uh, uh, European estates or horses or any number of things that, you know, that people like to look at. Horses are majestic creatures or beautiful animals and so you can, you spend time kind of flipping through the book. Well, estates groomed, cut, beautiful, trimmed. They're not dilapidated buildings. And I guess I'm overemphasizing the point, but to impress it upon you to what? Psalm 1 is saying that the believer is to be a beautiful person. And they are beautiful by the structure of their lives, by the things they put their minds to and their, what the things they're dedicated to. I mean, that's the, 
that's the purpose. That is, there, wasn't, there was no offense given when the psalmist said, you know, you're going to be like a tree. No, they didn't take that as an offense. They were, that was a good thing. Uh, not just any tree, but a fruit-bearing tree, which is paramount in the Middle East, in arid regions, a beautiful green leaf tree in a dry land bearing fruit. Let that sink in. In fact, um, to enforce what I'm saying, uh, turn to Jeremiah chapter 17. Now, before I read the text, you'll see it right there beginning at verse 5. Before I read the text, now listen, don't misunderstand me when I say, when I talk about this beauty, I'm not not talking about necessarily certain features, beauty and ugly. I'm talking about order, structure, usefulness, okay? Um, we're We're not talking about beautiful people and ugly people. The only reason I brought up the pageant is because I understand why it, why it exists. It's recognizing that there is this, you know, the, this beauty that is out there and it's recognizable. But that's not what we're talking about. The world recognizes beauty. We just recognize it differently as Christians, okay? So we're talking about more than just Looks. We're talking about order, the structure, the usefulness, the the helpfulness, right? Because what what one thing that a fruit tree does is provide for others, right? There is a provision that the tree makes. It can give the fruit away, and then later on bear more fruit. And so that's the. That's what I want you to keep in mind. Look at Jeremiah chapter five, uh, 17, verse 5. It says, thus says the Lord, cursed. Now, that's the opposite of blessed. Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind, who makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Well, he will be like a bush in the desert, and he will not see when prosperity comes but will live in stony wastes in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. So now let's stop there before we read verse seven. Now that's the contrast, right? It's not a lushful green tree. The one who doesn't believe in God, the one who's not trusting in God, the one who depends upon self, the one who is looking to the world for its uh, enjoyment and pleasures and guidance is like a bush in the desert. Not a tree, a bush. And not just any bush. A bush that is dried up. Doesn't even recognize when prosperity comes. Can't even make use of it. It can't even, this person cannot even see 
what's before them to make use of it. They are just completely dead and blind like a bush in the desert. And not only is this bush wasted, but notice, but lives in stony waste in the wilderness, a land of salt without inhabitant. You want to kill a bush? Put salt on it and you'll kill it. I mean, what's the main ingredient in Roundup? Salt. Salt kills plants. This plant has no chance. But notice the contrast in verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaf will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. Where do you think Jeremiah got this? Well, it's not that is, he didn't create this imagery. This imagery's always been around since the very beginning of time. And, and we see it here in the Psalms. This is what the psalmist is saying. Well, what does it mean, though? So when we talk about prosperity, we are not simply talking about the gaining or the accumulating of money. A lot of people think that's how one becomes rich. But that's not wealth. The accumulation of money is not riches. And that's a very bad mistake to make. Wealth is far broader and deeper and beyond just the accumulation of some money. One can be wealthy in friendships. What's the ultimate friendship? With Jesus. Having a brother that is more faithful than any other kind of brother. Having one that will not forsake you no matter what you're accused of falsely. No matter what you're going through, the Bible says there is a brother that sticks closer than a friend. Who is that? That is Jesus. So relationship should be at the very top of this idea of prosperity. Obviously, that's what the psalmist is talking about, the blessedness of this man. That is, these benefits that flow from this having a relationship with God. There are benefits. God as a benefactor. And it is, brothers and sisters, it is not... Um, out of God's way to be your benefactor. He desires to be your benefactor. He desires to grant you these, these, what we might call these benefits of life, the good things of life, beginning with relationships. The Bible talks about in the book of Proverbs that the one who walks with God walks with other men, right? Right? In a friendship way. 
Because the Bible says in Proverbs that, that if we are close to God, he causes even his enemies to walk with him, to be at peace with him. And we have read, and I mean, brothers and sisters, listen, God turns the hearts of men. And when you're in favor with God, he turns the hearts of men to your good. So first and foremost, I do want you to understand that we're not talking about simple gaining of gold and silver or money. We're talking about beginning first and foremost with a relationship, and that starts with God. If you want to have good relationships with people, have a great relationship with God. This word means to literally make prosperous, to benefit from, to have success. Success in what? The things of life. The things that you put your hands to. As long, again, we're not talking about criminal activity. Uh, you know, I don't not trying to have an exception here, but what I'm talking about is when we're talking about the things of life, the relationships, prosperity. Hey, listen, listen to me. And I guess this would apply to married couples first and then to parent-child relationships and then the siblings. If you want a better relationship with your spouse, your focus is not the spouse. Your focus is the Lord. The spouse is second. Because to have that great relationship with the Lord is to have a beneficial relationship with the one closest to us. It's the same way with parent and child. If parents are struggling to have a relationship, a, a fruitful, prosperous relationship with their children, the first thing you examine is your relationship with the Lord. That's first. Same way with the children. If, if the children are struggling to have a prosperous, a good and beneficial, successful relationship with the parents... It starts with the Lord. Same way with brothers and sisters and whatnot. If you want to have a better relationship with your sibling, have a better relationship with the Lord. I'll give you an, an example. When I was a uh, youth counselor at a counseling center, um, I was tasked with the responsibility of counseling the youth. And um, so they would, the, the parents would go see others and then they would send the youth to me. And um, we had a policy. The policy was I would not see any youth without first seeing the parents. Not so that I could just get their description of the issue. 
so that I could get to know them. Why? Because getting to know them was paramount to me understanding the youth. And when you have parents sitting there, you know, some intimating, some right up front saying, hey, it's your job to fix them. Well, I already know what the problem is. The problem is not first and foremost with the youth. The problem is the parent. And the problem is their inconsistencies. The problem is their own rebellion to the Lord. And the the youth pick up on that. And then they start acting out. And the parents have a problem with the youth acting out and they want it fixed. And I can tell you there's been great reconciliation meetings when we would begin to address the parents and the look on their face when we said the problem's not with them, the problem is with you. And we would begin to identify those areas and more often than not they would melt right there in the meeting because they knew it was true. But they didn't want to accept it. But it was almost a relief because now they could address it. And I've seen, I've just seen a lot of reconciliation and a lot of repentance on both sides come when that first first and foremost, the relationship, the prosperous relationship is with the Lord. Everything else is secondary to that. So again, the question is always, According to Psalm 1, and we talk about whatever he does prospers. Why? Because this person is walking, he's he's the benefactor, that's verse 1, he's the blessed person, man, God has poured out upon him discernment, a passion for the word of God, And whatever he does, he's prospering. He benefits from. It leads to success. Now, again, I don't want anyone to leave here saying that Pastor Stanfield says that if I just have a good relationship with the Lord, I'm going to be rich. I've not said that. Would I be surprised if God blessed you finally? No. But that's not the goal. The goal is to whatever you put your hands to prospers. If I put my hand to a marriage, I want it to prosper. If I put my hand to a child rearing, I want it to prosper. If I put my hand to, to eldership, I want it to prosper. For the deacon, for the church membership, congregations, friendship, whatever I put my hand to, whatever I set these hands to and I ask the Lord to bless, I want the Lord, make my path straight, Lord. Let these labors Prove successful in your sight that I may give you testimony to these things. That, Lord, because you're the relationship that matters first and foremost. We see this in several places. I'm going to look at several Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Genesis, let's turn there. Genesis 24, 56. 
Now, if you back up to verse 52, you'll see that when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. The servant brought out articles of silver and articles of gold, garments, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. He brings gifts. Now, just look at verse 56. And he said, he said to them, now this is the servant, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. Now, what does Abraham's servant say? He says, listen, don't detain me because you love Rebecca and you're trying to hold on to her a little longer. Let me go to my servant to what? Let me leave and be prosperous in what I've been sent to do. Success. Because what, what was he sent for? Well, to go get a bride for the son. And did God make his path straight? Absolutely he did. In fact, it looked a little too easy, didn't it? <laughs> Rides up. Hey, has a beautiful woman standing out there by the well, wanting to water the camels and everything. You want to go meet my master's son, be a bride? Sounds good to me. Let's go. The Lord made my way prosperous. Now, of course, I made it a little easy, didn't I? But again, what are we talking about here? We're talking about how the Lord makes people's paths straight, successful. Now, I say this, and I say this with great trepidation. Because our lives can be full of frustration. And frustration is a part of a fallen world. But a lot of frustration, a lot of hardship, a lot of complication a lot of turmoil, a lot of arguing, a lot of complaining, a lot of being difficult is a description of the wicked. They are like the seas that are tossed to and fro, constantly uproaring, foaming up, not producing anything. The wicked are constantly in turmoil and complaint. The way of the wicked, the Bible says, is hard, hard. His way is not prosperous. In any momentary prosperity, he thinks he has or she has is what? More, more turmoil. You know, the winning of the lottery. The winning of the lottery has proven to be drudgery for those who have won it. And in a short period of time are left in debt because they not only just spend it all, they waste it all, but because of the associations, because of this, the, the, their hearts are stony. And, and they, again, there's no thankfulness. There's nothing good out of it. It's just, it's just, it brought in their lives more drudgery than they ever imagined. Now, what you did not hear me say, well, Pastor Stanfield, are you saying because I'm frustrated, I'm an unbeliever? No, 
That's not what I'm saying. But brothers and sisters, what I'm saying is the day in and day out of frustration, complaining, uh, of uh, failure, failure, I mean, uh, turmoil, arguments. I mean, read the book of Proverbs. It talks about the, the, ar- the argumentative man. It talks about the, angriest, the angry person. It talks about the person that can't get along with anyone else. The selfish, the stingy, all of these things. People that are not right in themselves. Guys, their life's hard. You know, they can present themselves on magazine covers all they want. As put together, peaceful. They're not. They're not. It's a facade. It's literally what the Bible calls a mask. It's, it's hypocrisy in this sense. They present themselves as put together and successful, but in God's eyes, they are cursed. They're cursed. Even the good things in life that you would benefit from and enjoy and make use of, I mean, you take the person that, that has a little bit and stingy and they hoard it and they're anxious and anxiety because they're just worried about somebody going to take advantage of them, going to get their money. Somebody's going to use something they have and not clean it up and give it back. And their lives are just like, oh no, I, 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 you know. That's not a blessed life. So we see prosperity there as, as one that there was success in the journey that he set out to do for his master. Numbers 14, 41, Moses says, Wherefore, uh, do ye transgress the commandment of the Lord? Question mark. But you shall not prosper. You can't transgress the commandment of the Lord and prosper and find success and, and benefit and usefulness. It doesn't work. It's a contradiction. Deuteronomy, let's see. Let me find... Look at Deuteronomy if you want to in your Bibles. Deuteronomy um, 28, 29, it says, uh, verse 28, the Lord will smite you with madness and with blindness and bewilderment of heart. Now, this is these are the accursed ones, right? These are the ones that don't abide in the Lord. These are the ones who put off the Lord. Well, notice... He says that this, there's madness. 
and this blindness and this bewilderment of heart and you will grope at noon as a blind man gropes in darkness and you will not prosper in your ways but you shall only be oppressed and robbed continually with none to save you. I mean, you know, you shall constantly be a victim. Well, that may come if you go back to Psalm 1 because of their associations. If you hang around scoundrels, what's typical? Well, what's typical with scoundrels? You know, immoral ways. The point being, though, is that this person cannot expect to prosper and to prosper in all the right ways. I mean, you know, beloved, listen, there are a ton. I listen to a lot of business podcasts because I am a business owner. And I can tell you that there are a lot of them on there that say, you know, I've got all this success. I've got all this money, but I don't have any relationship with my wife. We don't even talk. I have no relationship with my kids. And they lament every dollar. they. I've heard them. If I, could, if I could change anything, because like, well, what would you change in your life if you could? I'd probably change the relationship I have with my family. Why? See, there's not prosperous. He's just got a lot of money. But he has nobody. And, 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 and that is a common thing. And you need to understand that. That is, these people that present themselves as put together and successful and everything else, without the Lord, guys, they are Nothing. The Lord has not, now what, think about being rich in the Lord first, being wealthy second, and even in gold and silver and whatnot, and having your, your, your children there with you, having a great relationship with your wife and the friendships and the benefits and all. Now that's wealth. And go back to Joshua. We read that last week. It says, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and that mayest observe to do all according that is written therein, that then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. What's he saying to Joshua? Joshua, listen, if you, if you, if you follow my will, my plan, if you, if you do this subjection of Canaan according to my will, you're going to succeed. You're going to succeed. It will happen. Nehemiah, turn there, Nehemiah chapter 1. We all know the story of Nehemiah. You know, um, certainly going to build the wall, going to see the prosperity, if you will, of Jerusalem come back and inhabitate Jerusalem again. And this is what Nehemiah says. He says, oh Lord, I beseech you, May your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and may the prayer of your servant who delights to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. The word successful there is the word prosperity. I I wonder, listen, answer the question in your heart. Have you ever prayed for prosperity? Have you ever asked the Lord for prosperity? Why? Why? Because the Lord promises to give it. The Lord promises to make your paths successful, beneficial, useful. 
This is a prayer of Nehemiah. Oh, Lord, I beseech you, make your ear attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful. Notice what it says in the latter part. Grant him compassion before this man. I can tell you, I have certainly prayed, Lord, grant me success with this person. Grant me favor. When we meet, when we talk, when we have discussion, will you grant me favor with this man? I pray this prayer. And I've seen the Lord answer it many times. There are many places in the book of Psalms. I think let's let's do this though. Look at Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the suffering uh, servant. It's the passage of the suffering servant. But notice even this, this concept is being applied to Jesus in his offering up of himself, this prosperity. But the Lord was pleased, verse 10, to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering that he will see his offspring and he will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. What is is he saying? This is an application to Christ that when he comes as the God man that he will be faithful and walk according to the commandments of God doing his will and guess what's going to be the result he will be prosperous in redeeming God's elect. He will be prosperous. He will gain everything promised to him by the Lord, the Father, who before the foundation of the world promised to give him the nations as his inheritance if he what? Walked according to that will of God. And that's what Jesus said. I come to do the what? Will of my Father who sent me. In Jesus' life, whose relationship was number one? The Father. And the Father blessed him. You say, yeah, but that was Jesus. Well, I mean, yeah, it was Jesus. But this applies to Abraham, David, Moses, Noah. I mean, if you look there, if you look at those first 11 chapters of Genesis, where you have three epic failures recorded in human history, I think those are the first 12 or 1500 years right there of human experience. What was the first failure? The eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first one. But what was at the heart of it? I will live by my own ways and prosper. Now, so pastor to prosper is not in there. Well, how were they going to prosper if they didn't obey God? How was the way they were going to secure for themselves the benefit of everlasting life? By not eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? 
What did they lose when they violated and disobeyed God? Did they not lose paradise? Did they not lose the garden? Of course, God ran them out. The second epic failure was the flood. What was the problem there? Men living according to their own vain imaginations and becoming wicked and evil in God's sight. So evil that God says, I repent that I've even ever made man. Again, did they make their way prosperous? No, they perished in the flood. The third epic failure of human history, the beginning of human history, is the Tower of Babel. What was the heart of the Tower of Babel? What did God tell them to do? God said, go spread out over the face of the earth and multiply. They did not spread out. They congregated and built a tower to heaven so that they could, quote, in their arrogance, counsel God, if you will. See God face to face and counsel him. What did God do? God came down, just confused their language, and dispersed them throughout the face of the earth. Now listen, confusing their language, how long do you think it took them to over, re, recover and overcome that? Did they prosper from disobeying the Lord? Did they prosper by doing it their way? <laughs> they did not. Not in a spiritual sense and not in a physical sense. I want you to think about that last one. Obviously, God was angry with them. But when he confused their language and he spread them out, do you know how hard it was to make a living? Do you, I want you to think about it. How hard was it that for them to find? I mean, there was only one language before that. Now there are many. And they have to communicate. They just made it exponentially more difficult on themselves by not obeying the Lord. Brothers and sisters, is that clear? And it's true with us today. We make our lives exponentially hard when we don't first prosper in our relationship with the Lord because everything else flows from that. So you want to have a prosperous relationship with your spouse, your friends, your children, best, best as can be. Serve the Lord. Love the Lord. Meditate on his ways. And you will prosper. As the Bible says, guess what? Everything you do. Everything you do. I don't think we ought to take it in its most literal sense, but I think mostly in a literal sense that most of the things we'd ever put our hands to are things the Lord would approve of anyway, right? Because we're meditating on his will. We want to please him. We want to glorify him. We want to serve him. 
We want our ways to be prosperous. So therefore, we're going to stay away from risky things. We're going to stay away from unsavory people and relationships and partnerships. We're going to, we're going to walk in the safe places that the, where the Lord is. You might even be surprised the creativity that comes to one's mind when he walks with God. I mean, is there any, is it by chance that many of the most important scientists in this world ever existed were Christians? Men who walked with God that contemplated the universe, contemplated science and the different sciences and figured things out that God blessed them and made their way prosperous? I don't think that's accidental. I don't think it's an accident at all. And I hope you don't either. Let's pray. Now, Father, this afternoon, I know there's been certainly passion involved in this topic of prosperity and blessedness. Lord, that idea coming to fruit in our lives. And yet, Lord, we should take this seriously. I hope we take it seriously. Lord, that each of us take it seriously and contemplate, Lord, where we fail, where we are not, where we actually, where are we the most impoverished? Our relationship with you our relationship with others, Father, help us understand. Help us to truly become lovers of your word, lovers of your will, lovers, Lord, of your way. And may we prosper. Lord, cause the work of our hands to prosper. Cause our thought life to prosper in creativity and understanding and discernment. Cause our physical relationships with one another, Lord, to prosper. Deepen our love and adoration for one another and esteem. Lord, come and truly help us understand what this blessed life really is. In Jesus' name, amen.